Welcome to the Emmanuel Message Podcast. How did a fatherless street kid overcome violence, chaos, and confusion to become a radical Christ follower? In this message, Greg Steer shares with us how God's truth transforms. Enjoy the message. It's been a powerful weekend. It's been great. Friday night we did like city-wide worship, and it was crazy. I mean, it was awesome. There was prayer and worship, and I was able to share the word. And then yesterday, Go Share Day, we had... We have literally hundreds, if not thousands, of youth groups around the world going out, sharing the gospel the last Saturday of every month. But here we had about 100 adults out sharing the gospel. Give yourselves a hand. That is awesome. Going out and having gospel conversations. I did have something traumatic happen on the way to go share day. Uh, I saw a girl stuck right on Pershing in her car, and a crazed turkey was pecking at her grill. I'm like, what is happening right now? And she was mortified. I pulled up. I go, are you okay? She goes, I don't know what to do. I go, I do. I'm from Colorado. I went out and just chased that turkey down. And then he drove off. And then that thing turned on me and came at the car. I'm like, man, if I didn't have to preach, I would just so make you Thanksgiving dinner. I didn't know it was Carl the turkey. All right. Now I do. And, uh, Traumatized forever. Um, I love what God is doing here at Emmanuel. Uh, there has been a fresh wind of fire and evangelism and excitement. I love looking on this stage and seeing that most of these worshipers on stage were one time youth group kids uh, and that Andy has invested in the youth. I, I work with Dare to Share. I was a pastor for 10 years. But teenagers come to Christ quicker. They spread the gospel faster than adults. And Andy, when you really look at him, he is a youth pastor uh, disguised as a lead pastor, right? He's a youth pastor with authority and a budget. And, um, and he is leading that movement, not just here with you adults, but I'm going to tell you, he's got an impact across the nation with young people. So thank you for loaning him to the nation because God uses Andy in a powerful way. And I believe God's got some great, great things in store for this church in the years to come. I believe we need some churches with adults who are setting the pace for what it means to be gospel advancing and disciple multiplying. And I believe that Emmanuel is that church could be part of leading the way for transformation in this nation. And we need it now more than ever. Super excited to be able to share with you my book today, Unlikely Fighter. Let's give Emmanuel a hand for purchasing those books for all of you guys, man. Praise the Lord. Well, give yourselves a hand too because you gave the offering to make that possible. So there you go. Super excited. It really is a memoir. It's, it's, the tagline is the story of how a fatherless street kid overcame violence, chaos, and confusion to become a radical Christ follower. There's 22 chapters in the book. The first 21 all happened before I turned 16. And you're going to hear a little bit about my family, but I was the unlikely fighter. I was the unlikely one. And I believe that this book uh, is really captured. Uh, Samuel, Pastor Samuel Rodriguez put this as one of the endorsements. Beyond the brawls, bruises, and blood, stained, platter, uh, splattered, blood splattered across the pages of this hard-to-put-down book is a story of a scared, scarred little kid on a journey to find his identity. Man, I love that description. That's what it is. So I encourage you not just to pick one up on the way out, but to read it. And it's drenched with the power of the gospel. Nobody is beyond the reach of Jesus. 
No family, no person. I don't come from a typical church-going, pew-sitting, hymn-singing family. I come from a family filled with bodybuilding, tobacco-chewing, beer-drinking thugs. And that's just the women, sadly. I mean, it's my family. I was raised in every city's got a city. Kenosha's got a city. Chicago's got South Chicago. Denver's got North Denver. And it's the highest crime rate area of Denver. I was raised right in the middle of that. Three of my uncles were competitive bodybuilders. The fourth one was a bouncer at the toughest bar in Denver. The fifth one was a Golden Gloves boxer, judo champion, and war hero. My mom was the only girl in the group, and they were all afraid of her because she used a baseball bat. My family was crazy. Matter of fact, the Denver Mafia, the Small Dones, nicknamed my uncles the Crazy Brothers. So when the Mafia thinks your family's dysfunctional, it's not good. My family was in a downward spiral. And the toughest one of my uncles was my Uncle Jack. We got a picture of Uncle Jack. That's Uncle Jack right there. He went, he only weighs 185 in that picture, and 85 of those uh, pounds are in those biceps right there. He once went to uh, uh, jail uh, for choking two cops unconscious at the same time who were trying to arrest him on assault charges. He was a very, very bad man. Spent a lot of his life in jail. But then one day, a hillbilly preacher nicknamed Yankee. Now, Yankee was this guy from deep south Georgia. But for whatever reason, his nickname was Yankee. We've got a picture of him right there on a dare from a guy named Bob Daly. Went to my Uncle Jack's house, knocked on his door. Jack comes to the door, no shirt on, tats everywhere, two beer cans, one for drinking beer, one for spit and chew. He talked like this. He goes, what do you want? Yankee said, I'm here on a dare from Bob Daly to tell you about Jesus. He goes, I don't know Jesus. I know Bob. I'll give you five minutes. Sits down at the kitchen table. Yankee explains the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not religion, but a relationship. That Jesus died for sinners, just like Jack. He said, does that make sense? My Uncle Jack said, hell yeah. That was a sinner's prayer, was hell yeah. And have you ever met a new believer that doesn't know the rules yet? About loving your enemies? That was Jack. He started telling people about Jesus, and if they didn't take Jesus, he may give them Moses right upside their head. He brought 250 people out to Yankees Church in one month, and he brought out bodybuilders, street fighters, and thugs. My Uncle Jack used to get what he called the itch, and the itch before Christ was to get in a fight. After Christ, it was to tell people about Jesus. Driving down the street on a Sunday morning, he got the itch. He goes, man, I need to tell somebody about Jesus. Where are some people on Sunday morning that need Jesus? He drives past a Mormon church. Oh, they're in there. He pulls the car in, goes into the Mormon church, asks for the newcomer Sunday school classes down the hallway to the right. He goes down the hallway to the right, 25 new Mormons getting trained in Mormonism. Uncle Jack says, I got a testimony. Well, they think he's a new Mormon. Well, come on down. Well, he ain't a new Mormon. He stands up. He gives the gospel. He gives an invitation. 18 of the 25 new Mormons became new Christians that day. My Uncle Jack trusted Christ. My Uncle Bob came to Christ one by one by one. The power of the gospel just went through my family like a tsunami. And as a kid, I watched God change everything. And realize that God loves to use the unlikely. My family was unlikely. I was unlikely. 
God loves to use the unlikely to accomplish the impossible. Maybe that's why I love the story of David and Goliath so much. Talking about spiritual warfare, let's go back to the ultimate warrior in the Old Testament, David. I'll quickly sum up the story. It's in 1 Samuel 17, but it's my favorite Old Testament story. Goliath, a nine foot six inch tall Philistine champion, coming out every morning and every night to taunt the Israelites to send out a champion. And all the Israelites run from him when they see him. Imagine nine foot six. David, one day, as probably about a 15-year-old teenager, delivering cheese and crackers to his older brothers in the war, overhears Goliath. He goes, I'll fight him. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? I'll take him on. And all the Israeli soldiers are like, well, you're just a kid. He goes, I bring it. Let's go. Saul tries to dress him up in his armor to send him out. It doesn't fit. He goes, I can't go on these. I'm not used to them. I'm going like what I am. I'm a, I'm a shepherd. I'm unlikely. But I serve a great king. He gets five rocks, takes his sling. He's got a stick. He goes out to the battlefield and Goliath sees this kid, this shepherd boy with a stick and a sling. And he says, what am I, a dog that you come at me with sticks? He goes, come here, kid. Today I'll give your flesh to the, the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And there David delivers the greatest line in all the Old Testament. He looks at the Philistine giant, Goliath. He looks at all these soldiers and he says, you come against me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty. Today, I'm gonna kill you. I'm gonna cut off your head and I'm gonna give the carcasses of the entire Philistine army to the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. And this day, the world will know there is a God in Israel. Let's get it on. He didn't say that part, but he should have. And he runs right at him and he swings that sling and he throws that stone and that stone just drills into Goliath's giant skull. He dies on his feet and lands with a thud. The giant has fallen through an unlikely fighter. We are all facing giants in our lives. You are an unlikely fighter that can be used by God to see those giants fall. I have a thesis. I have a big idea. I want to deliver it to you today. God uses unlikely fighters to face unbeatable giants so he can, an accompli he can accomplish an unimaginable victory. I want you to be thinking about that giant that you're facing today. And let me break this thesis down for you. Let's start with unlikely fighters. Do you know the Bible is full of unlikely fighters? Think about who God chooses to use 
In the Old Testament, he used a novice boat builder named Noah, an elder, elderly patriarch named Abraham, a stuttering shepherd named Moses, a teen queen named Esther, a confident senior citizen named Caleb, a God-fearing prostitute named Rahab, a young dreamer named Daniel, a fig-picking prophet named Amos, a girl-crazy warrior named Samson, a prejudiced preacher named Jonah, a terrified Benjamite named Gideon, a patient ex-con named Joseph, a determined cupbearer named Nehemiah, and in the New Testament, a cricket-eating, camel-fur-wearing, water-drenched madman named John the Baptist. And he loves to use the unlikely ones. David was an unlikely fighter. He was unknown. He was the youngest of eight. He was a shepherd in the wilderness. He was too inexperienced. He was a shepherd, not a soldier. He was a worshiper, not a warrior. He killed predators that were trying to attack his sheep, not giants who were trying to kill him. Too unknown, too inexperienced, too young. Again, the youngest of eight children. Here's what Saul tells him in 1 Samuel 17, 33. You're not able to go out and fight against this Philistine. You're only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But again, God loves to use unlikely fighters. And I, I, just on a side note, I think God especially loves to use the young. Those who are way too young or way too old. That's why I work with Dare to Share. Every major spiritual awakening in the history of the United States has happened when young people are unleashed to share the gospel. I believe that can happen in Kenosha. I believe that can happen across the United States. I believe it is happening around the world. And if we're going to see another great awakening, God's going to use young people. So don't underestimate your kids, your grandkids. Mobilize them. David was an unlikely fighter. I was an unlikely fighter. So I was raised in this family of bodybuilders and tough guys. I am obviously not a bodybuilder nor a tough guy. I was a scared little kid in this family of insane fighters that was quiet. I sat in the back. I hid behind the couch. I hid underneath the kitchen sink to get away from the violence. I didn't have a dad. I didn't know my dad. My cousins were tough. My uncles were tough. My aunts were tough. My mom was tough. I was not tough. One day when I was six years old at a Christmas party, when you were just wrapping up my grandparents, my uncles, cousins, aunts, everybody's there. We're about to have lunch, and my uncle Dave says, I have one more present. It's for little Greg. I was shocked because nobody ever pointed me out. But for the first time, I felt like I had some swagger, some six-year-old swagger. I walked across the room to get my present. Everybody was looking at me. I got the present. Here's my Uncle Dave, the war hero, gives me a present. I open it up. It's a girl's doll. And I thought it was a mistake. I go, it's a girl's doll. He goes, yeah, I figured you don't have a dad, so you don't like to play with dolls like a little girl in front of my whole family. And I knew he was articulating what everybody else was thinking. And I got mad. Nobody had ever seen me mad. I took that doll, I shoved it in his stomach. I go, ain't no girl, and I walked away. And my uncles were like, do you see the temper on him? Maybe he is one of us, ha, ah. 
I want to tell you something. That sent me into a spiral. But it sent me on a search for my identity. Who am I? Why am I here on this earth? I knew right away what my giant was. My giant was identity. What's your fight? You see, you're an unlikely fighter too. God has a penchant for choosing to use unlikely fighters. We see it in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 and 27. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things that the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God specializes in using the unlikely. If you feel unusable, God can use you. If you don't feel like you're special, God has a special place for you. If you feel like you're too poor or too weak or too sinful or too unpopular or too whatever, he is more than too excited to use you. Why? Because when he does, God will get all the glory. God uses unlikely fighters to face unbeatable giants. David's giant seemed unbeatable. For Samuel 17, 4, a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. Again, nine foot six. Think about that. A, a basketball hoop is 10 feet high. He could not play basketball because his head would get stuck in the net. Nine foot six. He was a champion, which means he probably killed thousands in the course of war. This is not just some big lumbering giant. This is a warrior who knew how to kill. He seemed unbeatable because of the size of his weapons. He had a huge spear to throw at you, a giant javelin to hurl at you, a gigantic sword to swing at you. David's giant seemed unbeatable by human standards. And the giants we face may seem unbeatable. I know this is the end of a spiritual warfare series, and we know the biggest giant that we face is going to be Satan himself. He seems unbeatable. But today, I want you to begin to think about what giant seems unbeatable in your life right now. Maybe it's an illness. Maybe it's a financial crisis. Maybe it's a strained marriage, a wayward son or daughter, a job that you hate, an addiction that you can't seem to overcome, or a sin that you can't seem to stop. And today, I want you to name your giant. Because you can't crucify what you won't identify. Goliath taunted the Israelites day after day, morning and night, what is that giant that is taunting you today? Maybe it's a giant sin in your life. Could be a porn problem, alcohol, drug addiction, gossip, slander, whatever. Paul writes in Romans 6:12, "Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not let that giant rule in your life." Maybe it's a giant problem in your marriage. Maybe you're faking it. You came here and you got in an argument on the way to church and you're faking it right now. Hey, I was a pastor for 10 years. I knew how to fake it. 
I, was, I went with my wife about five years into my marriage. We've been married 31. I'm doing Dare to Share. I'm leading the church. I'm super busy. I'm gone all the time. My wife and I get in an argument on the way to a small group. And we're sitting there in the car, and she's like, well, let's finish. I go, no, we got to go in. Put on a happy face. We're going in. She was mad. You got to know my wife, though. She is sweet. She is kind. But she got a switch. And that switch, I flipped that switch. We're sitting in Bible study that night. Thank the Lord I was not leading it. Pastor Green was leading it. He said, you know, tonight, instead of going into Bible study, let's just go around the circle, and let's see how we're doing. Let's be raw and honest. I'm like, oh, no. And he's going around the room, and he finally gets to me, and I'm thinking, how do I spin it, you know? He goes, how's it going, Pastor Steer? I go, you know, I just pray. I'm, I'm doing Dare to Share, and I'm doing the church, and I'm gone a lot. And there's a lot of stress on my poor wife, and we're just trying to figure out the rhythms, and I am just saying it just like a pastor would. You know, and, and, and I get through it, and I go, oh, yeah, we'll pray. Gets to my wife. Sweetest lady you'll ever meet. No natural predators. Fifth grade public school teacher. Everybody loves Debbie Steer. As a matter of fact, outside of Arvada, Colorado, I'm the Dare to Share guy. Inside, I'm Mrs. Steer's husband. She's a legend. Sweet. Kind. Gets to Debbie. How's it going, Debbie? Not good! And everybody looks up. They go, what's going on? Pastor Green goes, what's going on? She goes, my husband is gone every night. He's gone every weekend. When he finally makes it home, he's got nothing left for me. I'm tired of faking it. I can't take it anymore. My husband's a jerk. I go, oh, you want to do this right now in front of God and everyone? Well, let's get it on. And we start arguing. People think it's a skit. It's not a skit. We are arguing with each other. The room is obviously super dense. Pastor Green makes the mistake of calling me out. He's like, you think you're all that? You think you're the dare to share guy? You think you're the pastor of Grace Church? Let me tell you, if you don't take care of business at home, you're nothing. This guy been ticking me off in staff meeting anyway. I said, you know, if I'm going to send, I'm going to go the whole way. I go, yeah? How about I just kick your butt and I charge him? I charge the Bible study circle right at him. I'm like, hey, I believe in eternal security. I'm taking him out. And right in the middle of the room, the Holy Spirit hits me like a wall. And I collapse to the floor and I begin not to cry, but to weep. For 30 minutes, I could not stop weeping because I knew he was right and she was right. And I just felt like I hit my giant right in the middle of that room which led to another awkward moment because I was the senior pastor at the church. They're like, who do we call? Do we call the Catholics and get a priest over here? <laughs> Exorcisms? I don't know. What do we do? They prayed over me. Let me tell you, it was the most humiliating moment of my life. And it saved my marriage. Because I named my giant. And everybody else knew his name. And that church huddled around us and built our marriage back strong. We've been married 31 years. Praise God. But you got to name that giant. you got to face that giant. Maybe it's a giant hurt in your heart. Maybe it's from a person that dumped you or a gaping hole in your heart, from, from a person that 
that abandoned you, a parent. Maybe you were sexually abused by someone and that hurt has turned into the acid of bitterness in your throat and that person is still controlling you. What I want you to do in the secret, silent sanctuary of your soul right now is I want you to name that giant. What is that giant that you are facing? God uses unlikely fighters to face unbeatable giants so he can accomplish an unimaginable victory. He can accomplish it. The unimaginable victory that comes through his name. Boy, there's something about our family name. In North Denver, when people found out I was part of this family, that family name was so strong that kids would clear out. The gang members would back down because of the name. There's another name. The name of God. This is exactly what David tells Goliath. You come against me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. We have unimaginable victory that comes through the name of God. Whatever giant you're facing must fall before the name. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Satan's knee will bow. Whatever sin that you struggle with cannot stand up to the name. We have an unimaginable victory that comes through his name and that flowed from his shame. Now allow me to go New Testament on you. Hebrews 12, 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set forth before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God, despising the shame of the cross. Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, hanging on a cross, twisted, naked, bleeding, dying, mocked by the crowd, his shame. But from that shame came an unimaginable victory, the victory over sin. And let me give you the unlikely twist in this story. This story is really not about David defeating Goliath. It's about the son of David, Jesus Christ himself, defeating the ultimate Goliath, the Goliath called sin and Satan. When Jesus died on the cross, Sin was defeated. The story of David and Goliath can motivate us to be unlikely warriors and face down our giant like David did, but ultimately it's not about us. It's about Jesus, the son of David, the most unlikely of fighters who 2,000 years ago entered the battlefield called Earth and waged war with sin and Satan for the souls of mankind. Jesus died in our place for our sins on the cross. He suffered in our stead for the sins we had committed, and while hanging on the cross, he yelled the words, it is finished, which meant the price of our sin had been paid in full. In that moment, an earthquake shook Jerusalem, the veil that separated Separated God from man and the temple was torn from top to bottom. The ultimate Goliath fell dead on his feet. Sin was defeated and once and for all because Jesus defeated it through his own death. 
1 Corinthians 15, 54 through 57. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, how I wanted my mom to know that victory. See, I, I got saved. I went to Yankees church. I went to Yankees youth group. He mobilized teenagers for the gospel and the first person I wanted to reach were not strangers on the street was my ma my ma who met my biological father at a party they partied she got pregnant he found out he got transferred he was in the army 2,000 miles away my ma got in a car drove from Denver to Boston to have an illegal abortion staying with my uncle Tommy and my aunt Carol they talked her out of it she came back eight months pregnant had me in shame, standing before her strict Baptist parents, my grandparents. I wondered why for years when she would look at me, she would just burst out in tears. It's because she knew she almost killed me in her womb. So when I saw my mom one time with a baseball bat at five years of age, totally destroy a guy's car, a guy that she had married, a guy that left us, a guy that had burned her, and then she lit him up with that baseball bat, I knew, I knew there was a shame-filled fueled rage behind my ma, ma's outbursts. And when I was 12, I was equipped to share my faith, and I began to tell my ma, and my ma used to say, you don't know the things I've done wrong. You don't know the things I've done wrong. I go, it doesn't matter, ma. And by the way, I did know everything she had done wrong because my grandma had told me everything. I go, Jesus died on the cross, and it took from the time I was 12, 13, 14, finally at the age of 15, I went into the kitchen. I said, ma, I don't want you to go to hell. You gotta, gotta come straight at my family. She goes, all right, tell me one more time. And I explained the gospel. And she's smoking a cigarette. I said, Ma, does that make sense? She goes, you mean to tell me he died for all my sins? I go, yeah, she took a drag. She goes, you mean to tell me all I gotta do is put my faith in Jesus and he forgives me for everything? I go, yeah. She took another drag. She said, I'm in. And in that moment, my mom was forgiven for her sins and given a new identity. Went from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. It was one of the greatest days of my life, leading my mom to Christ. Because that giant fell. The giant fell. Some of you are here today, and you, you don't have that relationship with Christ. You, you think maybe you've gone too far. You've done too many things wrong. Or maybe on the opposite side, you think you're good. By the way, you're not. Neither am I. Nobody is. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. But God, he loves you. He created you to be in a relationship with him. He loves you so much. But our sin, it's, it's a barrier between us and this holy God. And it breaks God's heart because he loves us. And sins, those sins can never be removed by good deeds. Living a good life, going to church, obeying the Ten Commandments can never get rid of your sin. It's like putting white frosting on a burnt cake. just covers it up. So 2,000 years ago, the son of David, Jesus Christ himself, came to this earth, the unlikely one. He lived a perfect life we could never live, died the horrible death that we deserved. Crucified on the cross, he said the words, it is finished. That means the price of your sin and my sin and my ma's sin and everyone's sin has been paid in full by his own blood. He died in our place. 
He was buried, he rose from the dead, and now he offers eternal life. He's here, right now. He's offering you the gift of eternal life. He says, I tell you the truth, you trust in me, you have everlasting life. Starts now and it lasts forever. Sin's forgiven, given a new identity. The giant falls once and for all. We're not finished yet, but I want to give you an opportunity now if you've never put your faith in Christ. Can everybody just bow your heads and close your eyes? If you're here today and you honestly don't know your sins are forgiven, that you have the gift of eternal life, you can know it right now. Just say the simple, silent prayer in your heart to God. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't be good enough to make it into your perfect presence. But I believe that Jesus died for all my sins. And I receive the gift of eternal life. Right now through faith. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you just put your faith in Christ, you are forgiven, you are saved, you're born again, not because you said a prayer, but because you trusted in Jesus Christ. You believe that he died for you and rose again. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, if that made sense for the first time and you said that prayer along with me, you put your faith in Christ, can you simply raise up your hand and put it right back down? Anybody, just raise up your hand and put it right back down if you're trusting in Jesus right now. God bless you. Anybody else? The Bible said, says that the angels rejoice over one sinner who repents. Let us rejoice as well. Let's give God a hand for bringing this one person from darkness to light. You're that one that put their faith in Jesus. I encourage you to let somebody here know so you can grow in your faith. Get baptized, not because you have to, to get saved, but because everybody wants to celebrate with you. So here's my question for you Christians. Are you walking in the victory? Listen up. Get this. Are you walking in the victory that was purchased on the cross? My mom put her faith in Christ. Her sins were forgiven, but she always struggled with shame. To the day that she died 17 years ago, I was in hospice with her for 40 days and 40 nights as cancer ravaged her body. And that moment, she went from this earth to the next. I was secretly glad. I love my mom. And I knew for the first time she was not just sin-free, not just guilt-free. She was shame-free. I don't want any believer who's in this room to struggle one second more with shame over sins in the past. And that past may have been last night. If you put your faith in Christ, you confess that sin to God, it's nailed to the cross, and you are walking in victory over that. Refuse to stay in the dirt and shame of sin. Unimaginable victory that comes through his name, flows from his shame, and finally results in his fame. Why did David kill Goliath? 
You know why he killed Goliath? He tells us at the end of verse 47 of 1 Samuel 17, of the end of verse 46, this very day I'll give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know there is a God in Israel. See, David defeated Goliath with the goal of increasing God's fame around the world because he knew the world would be buzzing about this shepherd boy that beat an unbeatable giant in the name of, of God himself. And that's what evangelism is. That's why we share the good news to accelerate the fame of God, to tell everyone how good God is, that the giants in our lives have fallen through the blood of Jesus Christ. And when I think of this, I'm gonna close with the story of maybe the most unlikely fighter I've ever met in my life. His name is Doug. Doug was an unlikely fighter. Doug struggled in school. He was slower. He had mental uh, disabilities, learning disabilities. Kids would make fun of him. He had also had extreme epilepsy. He could have a grand mal seizure any time of the day or night, and the kids in his urban setting were ruthless to Doug. But Doug was no wimp. He fought back with his fists. He started getting expelled from school. He started getting in trouble with the law in high school. His life was in a downward spiral. But then the giant fell. Jesus got a hold of his life. He was radically transformed. And Doug began to share his unimaginable victory with everyone. And Doug would go out on the streets and just find random strangers and share Christ. Doug was notorious for walking around the city streets of Denver and just talking to people at bus stops or people walking or pedestrians or hitchhikers. He would talk to everybody. One day early on a Saturday morning, he goes, hey, Greg, let's go tell somebody about Jesus. I'm like, it's kind of early. He goes, people need Jesus. I'm like, okay. So we go out and we're looking. We can't find anybody because it's so early. He's like, where is everyone? I go, they're still sleeping. We go to a park. We look across the park. We see what looked to be about an eight-year-old boy playing on a jungle gym. Doug yells, there's one, and starts running at this kid, screaming, hey, kid, where are you going to go when you die? And the kid was terrified. He said, home, and ran as fast as he could. And Doug came back all discouraged. I go, Doug, you scared that kid to death. He goes, I didn't mean to scare that kid. I just want that kid to know Jesus. Doug saved up his money. He bought a bicycle. Took that bicycle all over the city streets of Denver doing drive-by evangelism. Pulled up to a car at a stoplight. Four guys in the car, he thinks they need Jesus. Knocks on the window. They roll down the window at this red light. He begins to share Christ. The light turns green. They said, we gotta go. He goes, well, I'm not done. So go ahead and go. He holds onto the handle. The car takes off 10, 20, 30, 45 miles an hour. Doug's balancing himself, finishes sharing the gospel. He says, I hope you believe. And he peels off to safety. Later on, he tells me the story. I go, Doug, you're an idiot. You could have got sucked under the tires, run over and killed. He goes, it'd be worth it. It'd be worth it. Those guys need Jesus. Finally graduated from high school with his GED. Slower. Struggled. But so full of joy. At a Perkins restaurant. I don't know if you have Perkins out here, but Perkins restaurant. He sees this beautiful girl. And he thinks, I want to ask her out. 
But he had a strict, I will not date an unbeliever policy. So he led her to Christ right there and then asked her out for discipleship. On their first date, I think, they were driving down the street. He goes, this is going great. We should marry. She thought he was joking. He wasn't. Six months later, they got married. They moved from Denver, Colorado to Ankeny, Iowa. And for the last 30 years, Doug's been a custodian. I love this picture of Doug because the smile on his face just captures his joy. For 30 years, he's been a custodian of a public school. Man, he shares the gospel with kids and with teachers and with administrators. And when the administrators tell him, hey, evangelism is prohibited, he thought it meant encouraged. So he continued to share Christ. But finally, he had to retire because Doug got a form of dementia and he was forgetting things. And Doug calls me about once a week and often tells me about the latest person he shared the gospel with. Because Doug, he's forgot a lot of stuff. But he hasn't forgotten that unimaginable victory of Jesus Christ on the cross. And he just won't shut up. The reason I'm doing Dare to Share today is because of Doug Steer, my big brother. It's a picture of us when we were kids. He watched out for me, protected me from neighborhood bullies. When he came to Jesus, he came hard. He used to call me big brother, even though he's seven years older than me. I go, why do you call me big brother? He goes, because you know the Bible better. You can say things right. He's my big brother. He's an unlikely fighter. I know if he could share the gospel, I could share the gospel. You can share the gospel. You can declare the unimaginable victory we have through Jesus Christ. God uses unlikely fighters to, to defeat unbeatable giants so that we can experience an unimaginable victory through Christ. Who will you share that message with this week? Father, fill us with your spirit. Thank you for your son. Thank you for our stories. Thank you that we're unlikely fighters in this fight. In Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. Again, if you'd like more information about Emmanuel Kenosha Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church. Also, we'd love it if you'd connect with us on Facebook or Instagram at kenosha.church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe to us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Emmanuel, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus. Thanks for listening to this week's episode, and we'll see you next week on the Emmanuel Kenosha Church Podcast.